and I just pushed and pushed and pushed. And eventually I just, I was out of water and I passed out and I kind of woke up in the ditch on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere up in the mountains on a dirt road. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 235, Matt McPhee talks about mountain biking and the Arizona Trail. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. On the line with me today is Matt McPhee. Matt is the founder and director of AZT Expeditions down in Sedona, Arizona. Um, AZT does some support services. So they offer support for self-guided trips along the, the Arizona Trail. And these are for hikers, bikers, runners, and, and all kinds. Um, so basically, we're going to talk to Matt about mountain biking because uh, it's a little self-serving, but I want to hear everything these guys and the AZT has to do with or has to offer for mountain bikers because that's what I want to do down there. So we'll dig, dig into that and uh, and dig into how Matt got started in all this. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Uh, happy to be on and uh, yeah, excited to, to, to tell you what's going on down here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So let's talk about this in the sense of mountain biking. Mountain biking, we'll uh, we'll dig into it a little bit, you know, for runners and and hikers because we have plenty of uh, of hikers and and runners that'll listen to the show and be interested in what you guys do for them as well. But like I said, it's a little self serving. But I want to talk about the mountain bike aspect of it. I was talking to you earlier, and you had. You told me that you've done a lot of uh, endurance rides, so we'll get into those a little bit. But start out by just kind of giving us the story um, of how you got started in mountain biking yourself. When was it, and what really kicked it all off? Sure. Uh, so I grew up in in uh, Canton, Ohio area. Uh, not not necessarily a, uh, a mountain bike mecca, um, but I would say probably around ninety. Yeah, right around 92, I bought my first mountain bike. And, and southern Ohio is actually pretty hilly. And I just started riding with friends and getting really into it very quickly. And uh, we would take trips to West Virginia or Vermont. And um, yeah, it was, it was just something I was really into. And then the first time I graduated college in uh, 1995, so I would have been mountain biking for three years at that point. And then I, uh, we drove to Colorado and I had actually never been sort of a classic Midwest family. I'd never been West of the Mississippi river. And so, uh, you know, the whole trip, it's, you know, the whole trip itself was, was sort of a big deal for me, but seeing the mountains for the first time. And we went all over the place, man, like Breckenridge, Breckenridge and winter park and Vail. And then we popped over to Moab uh, pop back over. We did Durango Telluride and, and then made our way back. And man, you want to talk about a, uh, an experience that sort of for someone who'd never seen the mountains really made a huge impact. And, and, and that was a big part of, of getting me started in mountain biking. And yeah, it's been a passion for a long, long time. I guess I'm approaching, let's see, this is 24. So 25 years now I've been, I've been mountain biking. <laughs> so had you come out and ridden out here, you just spent time out here and realized this was the, the place that you'd like to, to ride eventually? 
No, it was great. This is actually a great story is I was taking my final exam in college, my literally the last test I ever had to take. And I signed the test and I handed it in and I walked out of the classroom and this was Akron University in Ohio. And I walked down the steps out in the parking lot and there was a 84 Honda Accord uh, with three bikes on top and my two buddies. And we got in the car and drove 25 straight hours to Colorado to ride for two weeks. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to yes. start. Made it off driving all the way to Colorado and, and, uh, doing a lot of lift service, tough stuff. We were, uh, we were sort of like lazy Ohio kids, but, um, it was, it was just amazing. I mean, I, I still today think about it and I actually, you know, it's funny. I go back to some of these places we went to on that trip and uh, I was like, yeah, you know, man, I was been a long time now, uh, but I, I remember this and I, man, I remember being over here and, you know, the brewery that, uh, Carver Brewing Company in Durango at the time was like a bakery and that served beer. And now, <laughs> now it's my favorite place to go eat in Durango. Um, but yeah, no, it was mountain bike specific and yeah, just three, uh, three guys in their, their early twenties camping and drinking beer and riding bikes. Yeah, you picked the right place. It's gorgeous down there. So did you ultimately end up moving out straight to Durango? No, I, I lived in Ohio till I was maybe 26 or so. And then uh, I actually moved to Southern California. And I used to be in the technology industry. And I started an internet company with a couple of friends from high school. And uh, was then sort of in the technology industry for quite some time. And then 2005, I was working from home and I had a great job. And, uh, but I really didn't like living in Southern California any t uh, anymore. And my wife at the time, she was really into the outdoors and we loved riding and backpacking and the light bulb went off of like, what are we doing in Southern California? And I had this, uh, I had this great memory of Durango, of the rugged, you know, the rugged, uh, uh San Juan mountains and the Weminuch wilderness and the mountain biking there. And I said, hey, you know, let's go out and take a trip there. So we took a trip to Durango in, uh, it was Memorial Day of 2005. And by the end of the weekend, we had put an offer in on a house and the, the rest is history. And you don't waste any time. <laughs> now, I mean, we, we were pretty dead set on moving. And as soon as she got there, I mean, I already knew I would like it. And we got there and it was so beautiful. And, you know, it's just such a cool little town. And uh, I still spend quite a bit of time there, and, and it's our headquarters um, for Hermosa Tours, that is. We'll get into that. But, um, yeah, it's just it's such a great place. And I say, hey, no time like the present. Let's get out of here. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you knew you all, all you had to do was take her out there, and she'd be sold, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Remove her from the traffic of Southern California and plant her on a trail on the Colorado Trail in Durango. It's a fairly easy sell. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, my family and I just got back from um, – uh, being out at a, a dance competition for my daughter out in San Francisco and, and, you know, nothing against San Francisco, but I'm not a city person. And, uh, we were right downtown and it, it was, I couldn't wait to get out of the city after that trip. And it was only, I think we were only out there for five days, but it was one of those things like, Oh my God, give me back to, uh, give me back to my, my home, homeland <laughs> where, you know, it's not like I'm living out in the, uh, the middle of nowhere, but at the same time, it's, uh, I need mountains. I need open space and mountains. Absolutely. Yep. So you talk about uh, living in Southern California. So I'm going to get into your endurance racing because three of these races were in California. So I'm assuming out there is when you basically picked up the endurance racing on mountain bikes. 
Yeah, you know, when uh, when I started the internet company, there was a couple years there where I basically, I didn't do a lot of mountain biking, a little bit, but I didn't do a lot. And when the dot-com bubble exploded and, and everybody scattered, um, I, I sort of kind of hit a restart button to a certain extent in my life and, and bought a new mountain bike. I had a pretty old mountain bike. Bought a new mountain bike and started you know, researching and, and exploring the trails around Southern California, which are actually, you know, pretty, pretty darn awesome. If you, if you, you know, spend some time finding them and, uh, just got into, got really back into mountain biking, hardcore. This would have been around, I guess, 2000 or so. And, um, we, uh, I, you know, befriended a couple people and, uh, a friend of mine did the, the Leadville 100. He, he actually, had never, he just started mountain biking. We kind of connected through another friend and he said he read about this mountain bike race called the Leadville 100 in, I think it was like, (laughs) it was like men's health or (laughs) men. This is way before anyone knew about Leadville 100. Right. And uh, and I was between jobs at the time. And and I said, Hey, you know what? I'll crew for you. And so we drove from Southern California to Leadville and he was wearing like a soccer jersey and, um, you know, what, just and a, a, a hardtail Schwinn Moab bike. Ah, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah, he did the Leadville 100 and uh, it actually did pretty well for a first time guy who had no idea what he was doing. But for me, it was it was really cool like to kind of see that mountain bike race because I had never done any racing and uh, to kind of see that racing world, it was kind of, I don't know, it looked like a lot of fun, it looked like pretty inspiring. And so we both made it back to Southern California and we started just randomly entering races um, in Southern California. And, and it's really funny. We thought we were pretty fast in the first couple of races we entered. We were just were way in the back, just getting killed. And um, and but I was like, oh, you know, I could kind of get into this. And so you know, I started kind of pushing myself and I realized very quickly and it, <laughs> it holds true today, which is I'm not very fast. Um, it takes me forever to warm up. I'm not very fast. And, uh, but I do, I can ride for a long time. And so, you know, I, I would be in 20th place and by the end of the race, I would be in fifth or sixth because I could work my way back up. And so endurance was sort of my thing. And, and so I sort of ran with that and, and just started in kind of pushing in, in that, uh, I guess in that, in that, um, discipline. Yeah. You make some good points there. I'm, I would be the same person. I've never done any endurance racing and, uh, you know, it's funny. I actually, you mentioned riding the lifts and doing some of the, uh, the downhill riding with lift service. And I've, you know, all these years in Colorado, I still have not even done that on a mountain bike, but I can see that's more my, my mentality and my personality is to do something like an endurance race and not one that's competitively, you know, a, a fast race to, uh, to sprint and, and stuff like that. So it's something I might have to look into myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think also during, you know, when I got, you know, sometimes I have this opinion that, that mountain bike racing or adventure racing or whatever, and ha- I have total respect for it. I think sometimes it's, it's when um, people kind of have holes or voids in their life type of thing where it kind of keeps them busy doing something else. And, at the time, I, I mean, I liked my job at the time, but I realized that I wasn't super fulfilled with it. And so, you know, mountain bike racing and, and endurance racing gave me, you know, sort of an outlet to, oh, you know, this is a great job and, and, and life's pretty good. But at the end of the day, I'm kind of bored. Mm-hmm. And so 
get bored, I want to kind of tinker around and do stuff and, and, and explore new avenues. And, and there was a good three or four year period there where that was endurance mountain bike racing. And I was, I was really, really into it. Right. Right. Okay. Not so very, let's... not very good necessarily. <laughs> you know, Hey man, as long as you're out there having fun, <laughs> you're not out there to win dollars or medals. So the great divide race you had ridden in that, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, 24 hours of Temecula, 24 hours of Idlewild, uh, the Leadville 100, like you just mentioned, the Bar- Brian Head 100, which I didn't even know existed. Uh, it did. And, <laughs> and the Big Bear 100 uh, are all races that you had ridden. Now, that's a that's a pretty good accomplishment. It's a lot of miles um, doing that. What would you say out of those races was your, your most memorable or your favorite? Oh, uh, that's pretty easy. So <laughs> the Great Divide race, uh, I did that in 2007, so almost 10 years ago now. And um, at that point, actually, was not as much into racing, but I had read uh, the account of the year the year before. So I guess it would be 2006. And I kind of followed it. And I was like, I, actually, I remember in 2005, I, I first kind of saw this is really early before it turned into the Tour Divide. And I and I had followed it in 2005 a little bit. And I remember saying to myself at the time, I was like, why would anyone ever want to do that? That's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, I sort of kept one eye on it, and I just thought it was so interesting. And at the end of that race in 2006, uh, I made the decision. I was like, I'm going to do it next year. I have no idea why. I mean, I guess I was at the height of wanting to to, – I was bored and wanted to kind of get out of my job and that sort of thing. But I I started training and mentally – really mentally training – uh, in summer of 2006, getting ready for the 2007 Great Divide race. And then, you know, you can, pre- it's one of those races where you can prepare to your blue in the face. But until you get out there and realize there's no support and your, you know, your dinner is beef jerky out of a gas station, uh, you know, you have to adapt pretty quickly. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an amazing vision quest of, of sorts to, to ride 15 to 17 hours a day, clearing over a hundred miles a day on dirt and climb, you know, climbing, you know, over 200,000 feet in that, uh, in that 20 or almost 2,500 uh, miles. This is when it was still border to border. So, uh, Northern Montana to, to Southern New Mexico. And, uh, yeah, it's man, if you ever want to explore the reaches of what you're capable of and, and watch yourself break down and build yourself back up. It is quite an education. Yeah, that one, you know, we've had people on the show that have ridden that one, and it still baffles me. And I think, you know, my own mind, I think, well, you know, that's novel. Of course I would like to do that. But then I get realistic with myself and think, there's no way. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I would imagine just a, a few days into it, I'm thinking, this is, what What was I thinking? There's no way I'm going to finish this. So, um you had you didn't finish it, right? Am I am I correct there? You were close, but so I was. Um, did you see the movie uh, tour uh, the um, Ride the Divide? I haven't watched it yet. No, it's been recommended, but I haven't sat down and watched it. Point late in the movie where the winner Matt Lee is in the uh, mountains of northern New Mexico, and they're interviewing him on the side of the road, and he's like, "Yeah, pretty close to here. A guy almost died here last year. They found him in a ditch. <laughs> that's my claim to fame. That was really." Me. <laughs> now, that's a good mind, reason <laughs> yeah that that makes good tv i didn't almost die but i did pass out on my bike 
I got food poisoning the day before. I think like four or five of us did at a little Mexican restaurant oh. in El Rito, New Mexico. And a bunch of people got food poisoning. And uh, that night I started to suffer the, uh, the, uh, the symptoms of food poisoning. And the next day I got up and I was dehydrated and, and uh, really in bad shape. But I was like, well, I can get to Cuba, New Mexico. And I just pushed and pushed and pushed. And eventually I just I was out of water. And I passed out and I kind of woke up in the ditch on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere up in the mountains on a dirt road in, uh, I forget what national forest that is. Um, but anyway, uh, and I, I pulled my tent out of the, out of the bag and kind of just draped it over me to kind of stay out of the sun and keep a little warm. And a, a motorist came by, I'd probably there for an hour or so and a motorist came by and he, he said, are you okay? And I said, no, not really. <laughs> and I said, I think I need to go to the hospital. And so this stranger helped me pack up my bike and pulled me into his little Toyota and drove me two hours to Española, New Mexico, and took me to the emergency room. And wow. I sat on IV for like five hours. Yeah. No kidding. Well, that's a good reason not to finish it. <laughs> Blaming on the Mexican <laughs> food, man. That's crazy. Yeah. So no, I didn't finish it, man, but it's like, you know, the fabric of the adventure is all there. It was an amazing experience. Does that bother you? Do you ever think you need to go back and finish it just to do so? Or is that just, oh, that's just perfect. too much of an undertaking? Yeah, that's such a perfect question. Now for two years, I really, I really struggled with it. And a couple things, uh, and we can get into this, but I started Hermosa tours at the end of 2007. So after 17 hours on the bike each day, I really got some mental exploration and decided, you know, no time like the president to present to make a big change in my life. And, and so that's what, you know, got me to start the company. And um, also actually Mike Kuriak, who is kind of the kind of the father of that race and an endurance legend. I don't know if you know who he is, but um, just an amazing guy who's done so many things in the endurance world. He had said something to me afterwards uh, I think that year where he said, you know, he's like, Matt, you know, people finish that race or don't finish that race. And the things that happened to you during that race, because I also uh, crashed into a big rock in Montana and flipped over the handlebars and buckled my frame. Wow. And had to like sit out and get a new frame sent to me and like switch out all the parts and that sort of thing. And then, you know, then this happened to me in New Mexico. He said, you got more adventure and more experience out of your version of the race than people, you know, could ask for. And he, he put it so perfectly. He said, there's so much fun single track to ride in the world. I, I don't know why you want to put yourself out on these dirt roads for two or three weeks. <laughs> And just torture yourself. Like life is full of beautiful single track. Go do that. You're like, you had the experience and, and actually that helped a lot. And every once in a blue moon, I have this like tiny little itch, but in general, like the, I think the void in my life has been filled by kind of building a company and, and exploring other stuff. I, I it, like the, the idea of the race itself doesn't necessarily intimidate me, but the training and getting prepared and that sort of thing does like, I just don't think I have the, uh, I don't think I have the gusto anymore or the, or the level of care to do it. No, I can see that. Well, it's, it's hard to find that huge hole in, in your time too. It's a little easier when you're younger, but once you get these, uh, careers and family and projects, uh, all started and, and up and running, it's hard to find that time to yeah. one, like you said, you know, it's not just riding the race, but it's all the lead up, the preparation and training to get there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I would go, I would go into it again with the idea that I learned so much in that first race and which is basically, you know, all the preparation, preparation in the world means little, basically like you're, you know, so much unfolds out there in the middle of nowhere over a couple of weeks that there's no preparing for it. And so the anxiety of getting into that race would be eliminated um, knowing that you just kind of, kind of go with the flow at some, uh, on some level, but the training and getting myself physically, like sometimes I take a really nice four hour ride and I'm like, man, I feel great. And I feel really strong today. I should, I should do the great divide. Race. <laughs> then I'll, you know, then I'll like come back and I'm like, who the hell am I kidding? Like, right. there's no way I'm going to do that again. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, you can come off of a good ride and feel awesome and feel like Superman. And then there's another ride that uh, kind of turns that upside down for you. I did that recently. I was out riding single track. We, you know, little personal, but we had to put a, a, a dog down and I kind of went out the next day and just to kind of clear my head, ride some single track. Cause obviously the dog had been a member of the family and everybody was sad about it. So I went to clear some head, but I was out past dark and there was one obstacle. I told myself I wasn't going to try and clean uh, coming down the trail. It was just me out there. My son wasn't with me at the time. And as I'm coming up to the obstacle, I'm approaching it. My light is illuminating it. And here I am telling myself I'm going to stop for it. And I don't. I just, for some reason, I made the decision to go over it, but I didn't ride it fast enough. I went over, stuffed the forks and went over to handlebars and busted a rib. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, got down to the bottom and it was, it was one of those moments like, man, this, this whole summer has been going great and you, you feel like Superman and all of a sudden you do something stupid like that and it just kind of <laughs> blows your world up for you. <laughs> so let's talk about, um, well, actually before I want to get into that, what I would love to do is hear a good story from one of these, uh, these distance races aside from, um, you know, smashing into rocks or passing out in ditches. Um, what are one of the good stories that came from doing all these? Oh, geez. Um, man, I remember the, so the first 24 hour solo race I did was 24 hours of Temecula. And I think they changed that to 24 hours of Vale Lake. It was at Vale Lake. I don't know. I don't know how many years they ran that, but, um, it was my first, my first attempt at a 24 hour solo. And, um, you know, usually five or five or six hours into a race, I always cramp really bad and I just kind of have to work through it. And yeah, and I just kind of kept chugging along and slowly, but surely I was working my way up and, and into the, like, I don't know, midnight, two o'clock, three o'clock timeframe or something. And I'd work my way basically by attrition <laughs> because everyone else had gone, like people started to go to bed and I just kept riding. <laughs> I worked my way up to fourth place and, and the, and it was funny that like the demons start coming and I had the demons, but like the, uh, you know, sort of delusional, uh, hallucinations, like it's cra out there in the middle of the night. And you, it's funny. I think I was on, I'd ridden 10 laps and I was on my like 11th lap or something the point being is that this was not new trail to me. This wasn't like a point to point. Like I'd lapped the same thing over and over, but I was so, you know, just tired and hallucinating in the middle of the night with a, you know, headlamp. And there was a point when I was on the trail that I couldn't, I couldn't, it was only like a 10 mile loop. I couldn't figure out where I was. I mean, this is now, I think it was like an 11 mile loop or a 10 mile loop. And I'm now on loop 10 or 11 or something. And I'm out there and I have no idea where I am. I can't tell you what's coming up next. 
And I just, my memory of what, and I'd already done a couple, you know, handful of laps in the dark. So it wasn't that it just got dark or something. And I was like, I, I think I'm on this part of the course. And I think it's pretty flat up here. I think I'm all right. And then I just, I turned out, I was like coming up on one of the steepest descents where you really have to be on your game. <laughs> and I basically just like ass over tea kettle down this hill off the trail through the bushes. And I was, I was not hurt or anything, but I still remember that all the time is one of my funniest and, and favorite stories during one of those races where I fundamentally could not figure out where I was on the course. I, I, and I was, it was like, wow, that's, that is something else. Like the brain, the brain starts to play tricks on you. Yeah. You hear that a lot. A lot of people we have interviewed in endurance situations like that tell us the greatest stories about just, you know, their mind just goes wonky on them. You know, they're hallucinating. They're just, you know, dreaming up these, these things that they're not even happening to them. They're not even in their own body. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never been put into that situation, but I can imagine it's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. You know what you should do? Get a book. That's right, a book. We place many of our guest authors in our ASP bookshelf so you guys have quick access to adventure inspiration. Yes, of course, we get a small percentage of the sale, but you get inspiration you deserve and we get a little support for the show. It's a win-win. Just click on the ASP bookshelf button at adventuresportspodcast.com. Focus is a big deal, obviously. Um, you know, like you said, you're coming up onto the to the steep section, and if you lose focus like that, you're you're done for. I was uh, I was out actually after busting a rib on the mountain bike. I finally healed up, and it was healed enough to get out on my dirt bike. And that was this was two weekends ago, and it was the same thing. I was riding a single track on the dirt bike, and I could not get my focus going the entire day. I don't know what was wrong, but it was like my first day out ever on a motorcycle. Is what I felt like. Couldn't get it going, couldn't get it going. And I think I was worried about crashing and re-injuring the same rib. Well, what happened is I crashed and re-injured a new rib or injured a new rib. I ended up busting a rib on the left side uh, while my right side was healing up. And it was one of those things just because I, I lacked the focus. I was, you know, I was done for from the beginning. So it's important. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about um, AZT Expeditions and Hermosa and uh, how it is you guys got started. I want to know about the Arizona Trail. I'm truly intrigued, like I was telling you before we started uh, the interview. Uh, being up in Colorado and getting the snow, I'm always trying to look and see what, what places I can go down to. If I just have to drive a little bit to get there, no big deal. But I want to be able to ride in the winter as well. So the Arizona Trail sounds like an awesome option. So tell me about Hermosa. Um, how long have you guys been in business? What is it you do? So, yeah, so kind of back to that Great Divide story. is It's something I had been thinking about for a while and then um, finished the race sometime in July 2007 and then uh, started the LLC, Colorado LLC, in September 2007. And then our first season was 2008, um, headquartered in Durango, Colorado. And it's pretty funny. At the time, I thought there was a void in um, sort of the high-end market. And so we were going more lodging, massage, you know, kind of white linen style tours. And um, that was that was kind of the model that we were going with. And um, uh, man, it was unbelievable how wrong I was. Uh, (laughs) First of all, like that, that market's pretty small in the mountain bike world. And second of all, the economy was starting to crash. And so you know, people's discretionary income was getting, uh, and it didn't full blown crash till really 2009, but 2008, the, the writing was on the wall, things that were kind of falling and, and collapsing. And so here we were, here I was sitting with, a, you know, this, uh, high end, uh, you know, the white linen, white glove model and, and just staring at the ceiling, like what in the hell have I done? <laughs> And so we kind of, you know, the first couple of, and it was, you know, basically the four to five day mountain bike tours uh, based out of Durango, Colorado type of thing. And that was the idea. And, you know, we, we did day tours. We did uh, an event with Trek, sort of a media launch and some other things. And so, you know, we it, it's not all we did. And um, but it, it was it was a really, really actually for our first year it was actually pretty good. And then our second year, the economy crashed and, you know, sort of the sky fell and um it was, uh, those are some, you know, some pretty dark times. I think about them a lot because I like to think back in business about, you know, what's hard and actually what's really hard. And, um, and so it was, it was a really rough year there in 2009 and 2010, uh, 2010, it started to improve a little bit. And then 2011, the light bulb kind of went off and it was actually, it was, it was not, it was, wasn't one thing. It was looking at other people's business models and what I thought worked and didn't work in certain companies, and then some some different issues with the Forest Service about what we could and couldn't do in terms of operating on the forest. And you know, it kind of came down to this belief on my side that I know that mountain bike tourism exists, right? Like I know that people take their bikes, load up a cooler of beer and sandwiches and whatever um, and put their bikes on the roof and head off, right? People do that. And that hasn't died. People still do that. And the question for me was, so mountain bike tourism is alive and well, but they're not into the five day fully catered, fully guided $1,200 to $1,500 trip. Mm -hmm. And so no matter how much money I want to spend on trying to like shove that model down their throat, um, I was like, I don't think people do that. Like people don't want that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Like there's some great companies out there and we do some of that still today, 
But in general, like that market is really small and it's shrinking and it doesn't really hit what people are trying to do. And, and so this self-guided model uh, was kind of born out of a lot of different things, uh, that being one of them. And, and so we put a self-guided trip together on the Colorado Trail from Mollus Pass outside of Durango, actually outside of Silverton, uh, down to Durango over four days. And when we launched that, it usually takes, like if you put a new trip on the website, it takes you know months and months and months and almost a year to kind of cultivate and for people to get interested. We put that on the website, and I think at the time Bike Magazine probably put a little blurb out there, like a kind of a press release style. And we actually got a ton of phone calls and emails immediately, which that never happens. Right. And so I kind of knew we were on to something. And, um, and so that's really when, so 2011 is really where the company changed and we really pivoted into that model. And, and, you know, we, we then picked up kind of the Cocapelli trail. We had all these other tri- trips that we did and it took me a while to really invest everything but as every as all the chips started to fall, I, I realized that that's it, this works. You know, I, I if I have a hundred friends that mountain bike, I bet two of them would take a guided, fully catered tour. But I'm pretty sure that I could get eighty of them to spend four hundred dollars or three hundred fifty bucks for a four day weekend of self guided cooking on your own, doing your own thing out on the trail, and you know having your stuff moved and the camp moved and that sort of thing. And I do know a lot of those people, right? Like I don't, I don't take guided skiing trips, but I will rent a backcountry hut for instance. Um, and kind of do it myself with the logistics of having a backcountry hunt plugged in, plugged in. And so it was kind of this finding the right amount of logistics and support to still allow people to do their own thing, but have a good value proposition. And so when we really invested a lot into that, everything just took off. So Hermosa Tours, I, you know, I sort of dropped everything and said, this is who we are. We're, we're going to do self-guided mountain bike tours. And, um, you know, I look back now and I have no doubt that it saved the company. I mean, it, it, we, uh, we, you know, now things are, are, are great and we're growing every year and, and, it's, and it's pretty awesome. And so that was kind of the, that's kind of the, the, the life cycle of Hermosa Tours. And we, um, and kind of a segue into the AZT Expeditions uh, part is, you know, we were based in Durango and we did some stuff in Utah and, and, and that sort of thing. But we had this pretty short season. And so when you get to November or late October, I used to call it ramen noodle season. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. Where, where you would switch from like, you know, normal life to mothballing your entire life and eating ramen noodles waiting for next spring. Right. And I was like, man, we got to fill out a bigger calendar um, with other destinations. And that was kind of something I started to explore out of Hermosa Tours. Well, I love the model. Um, I'm not a person that is going to drop a lot of coin on an individual trip. I have one, I have too many hobbies. And if I choose to do that, I blow my whole hobby budget. So I need to pick and choose and, and be careful about how I spend my money on it. But when I was looking, I came across your your site and your model. And I really like the idea of being able to have somebody shuttle my my bulky stuff and I can be free to ride this trail for four or five days without having to gear up with all of the the um, bike packing equipment 
and all of the ultralight gear that you're going to need to take with you. Um, you can take your normal camp gear that may not be ultralight stuff, but it's plenty fine to to sleep in and stay at camp in, but you don't have to carry it. So you have somebody else hauling that to your next stage um, and and taking care of that piece to free you up to ride. So I think it's an awesome model. And, you know, the way you guys have it priced is, you know, like you said, we're talking basically about $400 for a trip to have you guys shuttle this stuff through. Um, I think you were, you were right to do it. I think you hit the nail on the head personally. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and so, you know, you go from two guides who are catering and cooking and doing everything down to one driver camp guide. And, you know, and honestly, I think the big part of it too is, um, I, I would, <laughs> I always say mountain bikers are a very proud species, mm-hmm. you know, your average mountain biker would rather jump off the roof than tell someone they took a guided tour. Yeah, and right. It, you know, it's it's sort of this rough and tumble, do it yourself, dirty, drink some beers, have a burrito type of activity, right? And so, and um, there's you know, out west here, there's so many amazing trails to ride and that sort of thing. And so, kind of really tapping into that, and and I I know people want to do. I've actually had people since we started this model who call and say, "Man, I really want to do the Cocapelli Trail for years and years and years." but I didn't want to spend $1,200 for five days or four days and ride with a bunch of other people on their schedule and whatever. I just kind of want to do it. And he goes, man, this is a dream, you know? And, you know, one of my favorite clients uh, of all time, who's done like four or five trips with us, he lives in Brooklyn, New York. So I always call him the model, right? So he stays in pretty good shape. He, he rides bikes around New York. He does some weekends up in, up in Northeast uh, United States and that sort of thing. And he stays in decent shape, but he lives in Brooklyn, New York. Now, like put yourself in his position and try to go do the Colorado trail from Silverton, Durango. Oh yeah. Man. With a buddy, right? Like I don't even know where to begin of listing. The logistics the are a nightmare. Yeah, no kidding. Right. And he said, after he did actually one of our Arizona trail trips, he said, he said, I, I just want to thank you. And not because this has been a nice trip or whatever. He goes, thank you for making this available. He goes, I got off and I got on an airplane in New York City, landed in Phoenix, got over here. I picked up a cooler. I went and did some grocery shopping. I rented a bike locally. And then I did this really, really remote piece of great single track out in the Sonoran Desert. And all my stuff was where it was supposed to be. I got this amazing trip that I don't even know how to start to put together on my own. Um and then I just give it all back to you and I get on the airplane and I go back to Brooklyn. Right. And to me, that's like, that captures it. Right. Is, um, you know, we, and some people bring their own coolers and some people, bring, you know, things and, you know, things kind of come and go and interchange and that sort of thing. But the idea that it's this kind of plug and play of, I want to go ride something really amazing for four or five days and then that's it. I want to be done with it versus, you know, even to your point of, you know, a bunch of ultralight gear, a bike packing, even if you were going to do it, you know, with a truck support, you got to talk someone into, into supporting it mm-hmm. or you, you know, you're a group of guys and you're rotating and people are missing days and, you know, there's still a lot of logistics, you know, where are the campsites, where are the access to the trail? And so, you know, we've tried to like take all that guesswork out and said exactly to his point, which is get off the airplane, get a bike, 
buy some food, ride an amazing four or five days of trail, you know, eat good food, drink beer out in the middle of nowhere in the Sonoran Desert or up in the Rocky Mountains or wherever you happen to be. And then you're done, you say thank you, and you get back on an airplane and that's it, right? And it, and, and all under the under the umbrella of essentially the base cost being a $400 weekend with us. And uh, I think it works, you know, actually I know it works. I mean, we've, we've, we've really been successful doing it. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I have to tell you, you know, you mentioned the Cocapelli trail and I was looking at it myself and, and again, living in Colorado, I mean, the trail starts here living in Colorado. I was trying to figure out the logistics to go do it with, you know, like Kurt or somebody, one of my other buddies. And I'm thinking, well, I got to load up my stuff. I got to take, um, I got to take two cars out there. I got to stage one, I got to drop one off and then run over to Moab and drop the other one off and then run back and start the ride or, you know, start from here either way. Um, I have to have the gear, the bike packing gear in order to do it. I got to, I got to look very carefully at what I'm going to be carrying for those few days. And then we get back to the car and then you got to drive back and pick up the other car and drive all the way back over to the front range. And, one, the fuel I just laid out will probably add up, you know, to the, you know, what we're talking about having you guys do it. And, uh, two, it's just, it's an absolute nightmare. It's wear and tear. It's a lot of, uh, unnecessary expense. So that's, uh, ultimately I, I read an article about you guys and I thought that model makes a lot of sense. You guys are doing the right thing. And then to throw the ability just to rent a local bike on top of it, because you think about somebody getting on an airplane, traveling with a bike is not an easy thing. I mean, you're going to travel with a bike. You need to have some sort of case to travel with. That's not a cheap thing. You got to drag that thing around with you. So to get on an airplane, rent a bike, and then come have you guys shuttle the stuff um, and still get the the experience that you're out there on your own, doing it on your own, and camping on your own um, is all a is a good formula for sure. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's a, it's a pain, you know, trying to do it on your own. I mean, this is coming from years of doing it on my own. Right. And, you know, part, you know, part also kind of what we got started with, what got me started with all these things was, you know, I, you know, I I love exploring trails and, and squiggly lines on maps and getting out there and like kind of figuring things out. And I go out there and I, I figure something out and I always want to share it. Right. That's a, that's kind of the heart of what, you know, sort of turns me on about the business is I love going to explore new things. And I'm always amazed. You know, I'm just just consistently amazed by things I go see and do and whatever. And, you know, I, I always want to go share it. And so I used to like run trips for friends and, you know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, I did these things myself and lured the hard way and had these, you know, even today, one of my favorite things to do is go out and scout new trips because it gets me back to, man, I'm going to go out there and screw this up royally <laughs> and have everything go wrong on my time is really what scouting means. So that when it turns into a real commercial trip, self-guided trip, all that guesswork is is taken out, you know? And, and so, you know, I would say still, still today, one of my favorite parts of the business is what I would call product development, you know, is really going out and finding new trails and thinking about new routes and not just new routes for me. You know, I would call myself in the world of mountain biking, probably more advanced and looking for harder trails, but there's plenty of people out there who want to go explore and do this kind of thing. 
uh, on dirt roads or easy single track or just beautiful areas. And so I, I, I like doing those things too. You know, I love going out. I have a new trip in mind, um, you know, sort of out of the mo. I, I, whatever. No one's going to steal my, my, my uh, <laughs> intellectual property here. So I'm thinking about a new trip from Moab to Lake Powell. Yeah, that'd be a good run. Yeah, where you basically you know go out of Moab and sort of cross across Canyonlands a little bit around the Abajos, over across Cedar Mesa, then down to Lake Powell, and uh, it really just comes down to the amount of time I have to go do that and 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 scout it out because I have other priorities. But like I think that's a great trip, you know, and it's probably a four or five day uh, intermediate, low intermediate dirt road kind of trip. And uh, I mean, who forget about how great you are a mountain biker or not great. I mean, who who doesn't want to go do that? You know, that sounds fun to me. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you should do that one. So <laughs> let's talk about the um, the self-supported piece of it. Now, I've read the site, and I, I fully understand what you're talking about. But for those listening in, and by the way, the site is aztexpeditions.com. So if you guys are sitting near a computer, go check it out while we're talking. Um, but go into the self-supported. What exactly does that mean? What can somebody expect um, for basically the day they show up to the day they leave. Sure. So, you know, as we always tell people is, you know, we set expectations of truly self-guided. So, you know, everyone kind of makes the joke is, you know, there's no AZT expeditions evacuation team, especially when you're on a bunch of single track, right? I, I can't chopper in and, and save you. So, um, you know, first we, we do a lot in terms of pre-trip information of letting people know like what they're getting into or do our best, right. To let people, uh, know what they're getting into. Um, but you know, really what they're doing is you're buying your own food, packing on in coolers, getting it ready, you know, and it's funny cause some people will buy backpacking food and just pour hot water into it because mm-hmm. they don't want dishes. <laughs> uh, and some people will do the most ornate, amazing meals. And to me, that's, it gives me great pleasure to see those those two people in the same trip um, because that's what it's about, right? Their own experience and how they want to do it. And um, but uh, yeah, you know, pre-trip we're give you know sort of here's an here's the route, here's what we're going to do, here's what the camps, here's how to prepare yourself. Um, you know, each trip is a little bit different as far as logistics and 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 kind of what to get prepared for and that sort of thing. And then. Yeah, for, especially for AZT expeditions, we we have such a great partner with the ATA um, and uh, their GIS guy who puts together these amazing GPS tracks and maps and stuff for each trip. And so you're pretty – and also the Arizona Trail app is also really, really good. Um, you know, we give you the – at the end of the day, really what – you know, the orientation part, you don't want people getting lost. And so – making sure people get down the trail. Okay. And, and know where they're going is, is kind of starts there. But in general, what we try to do from a self-support and more importantly, I guess, from our point, from support standpoint is we want you out on the trail as though you're doing a day ride. So take your Saturday ride where you're going to go ride five or six hours or four hours or whatever it is without a camp stove, without your sleeping bag, whatever, just a great day ride that you do. That's the experience we want you to have while you're out there, but understanding that there's an, an orienteering portion of it. But on our side, you know, we provide the rest. So we, we set up a really nice deluxe kitchen. So 
tables and grills and stoves and pots and pans and silverware and cups and bowls and mixing bowls and silverware, you name it, man. Like if, if it's in a normal kitchen, it's, it's in there. Um, you know, coffee pour overs and filters and paper towels and cleaning products and, and you name it. And then camp chairs and firewood, um, all the water, we do all of that. So all of that is, is waiting for you at camp. And so, and I would say, try to picture yourself being the rider, right? So you had a great ride on your first day of an Arizona trail segment and you come into camp and there's a pretty deluxe camp set up and the firewood is stacked and split and the water's there and camp chairs are set up. And if it's, we think there's going to be weather, we have shelters over the kitchen, then a common area and you hop in the, tra- your stuff stays in the trailer all day and locked away in the trailer. So, you know, if the camp guide heads off someplace, your stuff stays locked away and safe. And then when you get there, you know, you're basically pulling out your tent, pulling out your duffel bag and pulling out your cooler full of beer and food. And it's all there waiting for you, you know, find a good camp spot, put your tent up, grab a beer, kick your legs up, dry, you know, get into some dry clothes all your buddies get in and, you know, you start cooking dinner, fire fires up and, and, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of a garden variety day out there. Yeah. I like it. It's a nice, uh, kind of a, a crossing point between, like you said, the, the white linen fully catered tour and guide service. Um, and, you know, compared to just being out there bikepacking yourself, you guys are not, you're not cooking and cleaning, but you are shuttling and you're getting stuff ready. And people have a lot more to work with once they get into camp instead of the the bare necessities. So it's a nice uh, it's a mi- nice uh, melting point between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, you can you know you can ultimately like in the kitchen, you know, you can have four or five people doing something at once. You know, we get a trip of twelve, and you know, the best part about these trips is they they um, they draw a lot of like minded people. So not a lot of frankly high strung or pretentious folks you just get a lot of really good people looking to have a good time and a lot of these people share photos and become friends afterwards which i always think is awesome and you know if someone's using that burner or that grill at that point you know wait 10 minutes he'll you know they'll they'll move their their burgers or sausage or chicken or whatever <laughs> and uh you know you can you can hop on the grill and that type of thing and so and there's all sorts of times where we've had people say, oh, man, I forgot to buy coffee. And, like, people are, you know, knocking each other over to try to share their coffee and help, you know, help someone out there and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, and so I, re- I really, really love that that part of it as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, from a camping perspective, think of it as, like, really, really good car camping that you didn't have to pack up. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I love the sound of it. That's awesome. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tack is the handiest bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tac.com or retailers near you.
All right. So let's talk about riding the Arizona trail specifically. I know you guys do a lot of tours, but I, I talked to you about, or contacted you about the Arizona trail and you guys do different sections of it. Um, what kind of trips can people uh, sign up for on this trail? I mean, obviously it's an 800 mile trail. You know, you're not going to do the whole thing in one shot having you guys support it. You have, you have to break it up into sections, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So what, uh, yeah. What can they choose from? Is it more, is it, are they kind of choosing by location or more about the type of uh, terrain and environment they want to ride in? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a big generic yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all so, of the above. Yeah, when we I sat down with Matthew Nelson, who is the executive director of the Arizona Trail Association, and we had you know put all this together, and we had like a day or two in Tucson where we we got in a conference room and shut the door and and just focused on building the trips, and I, you know I think the model long term will probably. Ad- uh, change a little bit and turn into longer trips and segments. And I don't know if you would, you know, the mountain bike version is 750 miles because um, you have to go around some wilderness and things like that. But um, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if we'll ever offer something that does the whole trip or, you know, or 20 days or you know, whatever happens to be. But what we started with um, is we just cherry picking, you know, we cherry picked what we thought were the best sections and we wanted to have a great cross section of the Arizona trail. So, you know, that, I think this is something we may have talked about before, but the Arizona trail in 800 miles is so diverse. It's mind blowing. You know, you're starting on the Mexican border and then you're kind of diving down into the heart of the Sonoran desert and old growth Suaro forests uh, and working your way through that. And then as you, you know, kind of past the Mazatal wilderness and, and you start working yourself on the muggy on rim and you're getting into pine trees and, you know, that sort of thing. And then you get to Flagstaff and you're working your way around the San Francisco peaks and, and even Aspens and big pines and, and, um, you know, more firs and, and, uh, and spruce and even that kind of thing before you like, break out onto the grasslands of Northern Arizona. Then all of a sudden there's this big hole in the ground, which is the grand Canyon. And you got to go in and out of the grand Canyon. And then you pop out on the North rim and it's 8,000 feet and you ride basically across the Kaibab plateau of, you know, primarily pine trees and some aspens. And, but as you get close to the Utah border, all of a sudden it's red rocks and cactus and uh, you know, junipers and, and sage and that kind of thing. And so, the diversity of the trail is mind blowing in 800 miles. I mean, I still today, I just can't get over it. And so from a mountain biker perspective, we tried to nail what we thought were really good rides uh, in three or four days or five days or whatever it happened to be, but also, you know, a nice cross section of what the Arizona trail has to offer. So kind of starting down South in the Santa Rita mountains to Tucson, all the way to Suaro national park, you can actually mountain bike on single track into Suaro National Park, which is kind of cool. Um, and then the trip that really started it all, this is something that we did with Hermosa Tours, which is essentially Oracle, Arizona to Superior, Arizona, was our uh, was sort of our flagship product with Hermosa Tours and got us started on, on the Arizona Trail, is 100 miles of some of the best, most amazing primitive single track and beautiful areas in Suaro Forests and um, very purpose-built single track and areas. It's, it really kind of got me excited about the Arizona Trail. 
and then we kind of kick it up north. We're we're actually I'll, I'll use I'll use this podcast as a little bit of a press release. We um, uh, actually I might actually start talking about it tomorrow, but um, we just got permitted in in the Flagstaff area for that portion, and oh, cool. so very very difficult um, in the in the permit world in the in the tour you know Forest Service world. And we're going to have Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon as a trip over four days. And then Flagstaff south uh, and south of Mormon Lake, which, you know, to the, I guess people don't know, doesn't really mean much. But essentially it's 100 miles, a great single track around Flagstaff and on the Muggy on Rim and just gorgeous stuff. And then our final trip starts at the north rim of the Grand Canyon, uh, where you can mountain bike inside Grand Canyon National Park, uh, technically. And over four days, you ride to the Utah border. Um, and that's that's actually been one of our most popular trips, too, is starting in the pine trees and peering down into the Grand Canyon from the North Rim, riding Great Trail for four days and dropping into Red Rocks and Cactus at the Utah border. It's kind of tough to beat that one as well. So it's just – it's such – it's it's almost like a full season of mountain bike tours in one state on one trail is how I would describe it. Oh, yeah. I would think, too, the, the person who hasn't – been in Arizona, you know, I, I would think they were thinking desert riding and, you know, what kind of fun would that be? But like you alluded to the, the diversity of Arizona is drastic. I mean, down in the, in the, the uh, Sonoran desert and then all the way up into Flagstaff and up into what may as well be Colorado, you know, from the, from the looks of it. Um, and then everything in between the, the altitude, uh, gain and, and loss throughout this trip. Um, what a, what a diverse ecology it is to, to ride out there. It's gotta be awesome. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, we did, we did a trip in September from grand, uh, the North rim of grand Canyon to Utah. And it was, I think like the third week of September, we got snowed on. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Oh, and so people, I think you're exactly right. As people think Arizona, they think desert and cactus and that's it. But here we were in Arizona um, at 8,500 feet getting snowed on. Um, and it was crazy. And the, and the trip turned out to be absolutely stellar. But that first day we were getting snow fleet <laughs> and, you know, it was crazy. Yeah, that's great. Well, I definitely, they all sound good. I don't know if you, you rattled off one that I wouldn't be interested in. So definitely have to get down there and, and check some out for sure. So let's, um, last question. I want to talk a little bit about rider ability and equipment setup. So we'll make it kind of quick, but if somebody's thinking about doing one of these trips, what should, what kind of rider should they be and what kind of equipment should they, they really come in with? Um, obviously you're not going to need top of the line bike to do it. Um, but you're not going to want the, the Huffy out of Walmart either. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the heart, I mean, one of the hardest things that we always have to do is people's ability, um, whether it be fitness or, or technical riding ability or that sort of thing, it's really subjective, you know? So we've gotten pretty good over the years of talking to someone and, and interpreting what their version of intermediate means, <laughs> Right. right. But, you know, intermediate or advanced or, you know, what, I, and, and you'll probably appreciate this, you know, guys always overestimate their ability and <laughs> women always underestimate their ability. It's, 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 I mean, you can set your watch by it. Men, men think they're amazing and women think they can't do anything. They get out on the trail and it's the exact opposite. Right. <laughs> um, you know, so first things first is we got to make sure we match people to the right trip and, 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 you know, for instance, this new trip that we're going to be doing Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon is very 
well into high beginner uh, sort of intermediate and, and it, not that you couldn't enjoy it as an advanced rider, but you know, you can be a, just an intermediate rider who enjoys mountain biking. You don't have to be anything special and you can go out and enjoy that trip and have your mind blown. Right. And so we try to have enough levels of trips so that you can kind of find something that fits for every rider. So you kind of start there. Um, and then, you know, we, we try to give people an idea of the elevation gain and loss and, um, and mileage each day and kind of what they're in for and, you know, do, do our best to kind of convey that it can be challenging though. You know, it's tough to, um, to, to really nail it down. So everybody is, is ready for their particular trip. And then, you know, a lot, I would say probably a good 70 to 80% of the people who sign up for these trips are already pretty avid riders who are going to do self-guided multi-day. It's a great filter, as I always say, is you don't get beginners who are thinking about mountain biking signing up for four days of, of self-guided trips in the backcountry. Um, you just don't. And so you get a filter of somebody who is at least into mountain biking and, and pretty darn into it, you know? Um, and so, you know, but some people will ask the exact questions you're asking is, you know, what kind of bike I have, uh, actually we have a trip coming up. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Uh, oh yeah. It's the one we have coming up here on the Arizona trail from Oracle to superior, which I think between Hermosa tours, AZT expeditions, whatever is, is easily one of our hardest trips. It's, there's just no easy miles on the trail. And he said, uh, I have a Santa Cruz Bronson, which is kind of an all mountain, you know, sort of pretty big trail bike. And he has sort of something more cross country. And I said, look, uh, you know, I don't, I've never met you. I don't know what you can pedal and what you can't. I said, if it were me, I feel like that Bronson is probably overkill. Um, I think you could, I think, you know, given the mileage and the, you know, the, the terrain you have to cover each day, if you have something a little lighter, a little easier, it will probably benefit you to, to have something. And so, yeah, I guess the real answer is, you know, there, there's no real one good answer. Um, it, it's kind of working through each person and getting them ready for the trip and that sort of thing. But, you know, before people come, it's like desert trips, you know, desert trips, it's standard. I tell everyone you have to have sealant because there's cactus everywhere. Right. You got to have sealant and don't tell me you, you know, you put stands or whatever in your tires four months ago. Like you just spent all this money on a vacation. You're flying to Phoenix. And you're going to do this trip. Put fresh stand. And we're all busy, right? <laughs> but I'm like, put fresh sealant in your tires and be ready for your trip. Have a good camelback. Have a, you know, have a full pack and two bottles on your bike for a desert trip. Um, you know, please, uh, for the love of God, read the literature that we're giving you and try to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> help us you know? help you. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's really funny, you know, and some people like I have these groups where I'll drop them off the trailhead and we're like, okay, so everyone got the GPS track loaded on their phones and their GPS. And I've had nine guys stare at me and say, nah, we saw that, but we decided not to do that. And I just look at them and it turns into this running joke of, look, man, I said, I can only do so much. I can't fly to, you know, Texas and load it onto your phone for you. You know, all the information is there. I've tried to get you ready. And, but those people are usually kind of like the, um, you know, caution to the wind. Oh, we'll figure it out. We'll get lost a couple times. We'll have a good time. And, you know, that goes into a lot of it too in terms of preparation is self-guided is supposed to be fun and a little bit of adventure and sometimes a little bit out of your comfort zone. 
And that's a big part of kind of what we do um, is, you know, a lot of people stare at their phones and stare at their computers and everything is kind of ready. And these self-guided trips are a little, you know, being out of your comfort zone just a little bit. And that, that's part of what I think the product is and part of what I try to deliver, you know. And so, um, but no, you don't have to. I've had people, you know, I had a person do a trip recently with, you know, by mountain biking standards was like an antique of a mountain bike and, and, you know, they did just fine. So I would say the best preparation I could give anybody is a sense of adventure and a sense of, you know what, this isn't a guided tour where we're holding your hand. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to break a chain. You're going to get lost. You're going to be tired. You're going to run out of water, whatever the situation might be, but that's what the product is. That's what you signed up for. And so the more go with the flow and laugh at your mistakes and laugh of how things go, the better time you're going to have. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said it best when you want to provide the trip uh, as if people are out for a day ride. So take the, the items, you know, a, a few medical items and have your bike outfitted and the water that you would take on that particular day ride uh, and have some mechanical ability. You know, you're not going to go out for, an all day ride and not know how to deal with uh, mechanical breakdowns on your bike. So if you're prepared that way, and like you said, read the literature and, and get prepared, then uh, you should have a good time. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I'll, I'll get people who call and they'll say, you know, on the phone, they're asking me questions and they'll say, well, what if I break a chain? And that's a red flag, right? Yeah, if someone right. chain and do a self-guided four or five day, you know, trip in the backcountry. It, it sucks, right? Because I want them as a customer and I'd love to show them the trail, but I, I frankly start talking them out of the trip. <laughs> you better get your buddy to sign up. <laughs> right. Well, either you need to, between now and then, you need to learn to fix a chain or B, don't sign up. Like I don't, I don't, because I, you're going to have a bad trip. I'm going to have a bad trip because you're going to be screaming at me and you're going to get lost. You can't fix a chain, whatever. And so, you know, that's one of the things I've learned over the years in businesses, you know, you, you know, you, you, you want to sign everyone up and you want to, you know, frankly, you know, create business and have revenue and whatever, but not at the expense of putting someone in danger or, 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 or them having a horrible time and saying, Oh, AZT expedition sucks because they didn't chop her in a new train, a chain, you know? <laughs> and so when I hear that, I'm always like, well, this might not be the situation for you. You know, and they're like, no, 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 I can do it. I'm like, well, but you can't fix a chain. And, but you know, maybe you should go in the bike shop and have them show you how to do it, that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah, no, it's, it, it's cool. And it's also cool to kind of see people go through that transition and that, um, that, uh, that progression on the trip itself where they didn't think they could do something like this. And then they go do the trip and it just really expands their horizons for mountain biking and backcountry orienteering and, and just being in the outdoors in general. Yeah. Well, they sound awesome. I think what you guys have put together is an awesome thing. And hopefully there's some people listening that, you know, that see this as a, as an opportunity and, uh, you know, something that they would uh, like to do. And, you know, I don't want it to be so much of a, a promotion and commercial, but I like to bring these things out to our listeners so that they realize that these options are out there to take part in adventure and you don't have to go a whole hog and, and spend for the linen uh, full catered trip, but you don't always have to go, go at your own. Um, yeah. Well, I, yeah. And let me, de- I'll deflate the commercial part of it. I'll, I'll, you know, if someone sounds, if this sounds really good to you, right. If you, if you think the Arizona trail sounds really amazing and you want to get out there, but you don't even want to, spend the money on a self-guided trip, you know, drop me an email, matt at aztexpeditions.com, and I'll give you a point in the right direction. You know, I don't, you know, 
the, the people who want to do this will call us and, and, you know, we're, we're plenty busy and, and I always want to grow the company. But at the end of the day, like what turns me on is, is people getting out on the trail and having fun and experiencing new things and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it, it's, by no means does this have to be an advertisement for AZT at the heart of it for me is I like exploring new areas and messing up and making mistakes and then figuring it out and then sharing that finished product with people. And I want them to, to be super stoked. And, you know, over, since 2011, when we started this model, you know, we've had groups and people and individuals who have done five or six trips with us and email us constantly with what's your, what's, what's your new trip? What don't I know about? You know? And so, um, you know, that's, that's what drives me is people just, just love the model and, and love getting out there and, and doing their thing, you know? Oh, that's cool. Very well said. All right, Matt. Oh, cool. I appreciate you spending the time. Uh, tell me about this and I definitely want to get down there. Hopefully this winter when the snow flies in Colorado, um, we'll find some, some better weather to, to ride down there and check out, uh, what you guys do and the Sonoran desert down there. Cool. Well, drop me an email. The, the payment is a 12 pack of good Colorado beer. <laughs> we can handle that. <laughs> if you bring Arizona, I'm, I, I become really friendly about showing you the trails. <laughs> right on. I like the idea. <laughs> good deal. All right, man. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Travis. All right. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Would you do us a huge favor and leave a comment and a rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Don't forget to tell people about the show as well. We can use your help. Until the next time, get out there and try something new.